We are in a sermon series entitled God Is, looking at the attributes of God. And this morning, we're looking at God's holiness. So typically, um, as we've approached this series, oftentimes we'll spend the first part of the messages kind of showing in Scripture where the theme comes out, and then leading into, all right, what does this, what should our response be? Um, this morning is going to be a little bit different in that we're going to, the kind of looking at where we see God's holiness and then the application, those will kind of be shorter sections, both on the front and the end, but we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning working through a text that reveals God's holiness, that shows God's holiness. It's a tough text that we're going to be looking at, and so we want to do it justice. And so we're going to spend a lot of our time um, looking at that this morning. God is holy. God's holiness. Revelation 4.8 says this, each of the four living creatures had six wings. It's covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. In Isaiah 5, 16, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice. The holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. God's holiness can be described as his set-apartness his sacredness, being separate from any sort of impurity, sin, infirmity, absolute moral purity. So God's holiness refers to the absolute moral purity of God, the perfection of God. So I would encourage you to grab a copy, God's word, or on a phone, um, and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Those of you who are watching online, you're not exempt from that. I would encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 1 through 15 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to start by reading the first two verses. 2 Samuel 6, verse 1 and 2. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Balah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. When January 1st rolls around each year, your life changes, doesn't it? And mine. That we become dead set on new goals. If you've ever made a New Year's resolution, what's a New Year's resolution? You're saying, this is what I want this year to be about. This is what I want my priority to be this year. Maybe it's going to the gym or traveling more, making new friends, developing new hobbies, losing weight, eating healthier, 
whatever it is, but a New Year's resolution is saying, this is what I want my focus to be this year. And in a sense, that's kind of what we see here with David. David has just become king of Israel. And one of the first things that he does is goes to get the ark of God to bring it back to Jerusalem. He's just been anointed king, and he goes to get the Ark of the Covenant. He's saying, in a sense, that this is what I want the priority of my being king to be about. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's kingship, God's rule, and David is saying, my rule will be about making God the true king of Israel. This is what I want the priority to be. So what is David, what does he go to get? He goes to get the ark. So what is this ark? God had commanded Moses how this ark was to be made. It was a box roughly four feet long, roughly two feet wide, and roughly two feet high. It was covered in pure gold, had a lid made also of pure gold. There were cherubim on top. They were carved and placed on the lid. And there was a mercy seat where God said he would dwell. Symbolizes God's kingly rule. The ark was to be covered in a veil so as to not be seen. And it was made with rings so that poles could go through it because it was to be carried so that it would not be touched. God's people traveled through the wilderness. They would carry the ark. And whenever they stopped to camp, it would then be placed in the tabernacle. So later, um, the people of God entered into the promised land. And they went out to battle against the Philistines. The elders thought that if they brought the ark with them in battle, then surely they would win. They ended up losing the battle, and the Philistines stole the ark. Things did not go well for the Philistines once they stole the ark of the covenant from the Israelites. So they placed it in the temple with their god, Dagon, and the next day they came in, and Dagon, their statue of their god, had fallen over. So they thought, that's bizarre. So they put it back up, and the next day they came back in, and Dagon had fallen over again, and this time his head and arms had also broken off. So they said, all right, we better move the ark. So they moved the ark, and disaster struck where they moved it. So they said, Philistine said, all right, we got to move it again. So they moved it to another city and disaster struck there. They said, the burden's too heavy for us. Like, let's give the stolen goods back. So they decided to send the Ark of the Covenant back. So they brought it back to the Israelites, rolling it back on a cart carried by animals along with a gift because they thought we shouldn't come back empty-handed since we stole the ark. And, and when they brought it back, when the Philistines brought it back, 
Um, in a scene soon after, in 1 Samuel 6, um, there were, you don't have to turn there, but there were 70 people that were struck down as a result of seeing the ark. So they, they, were look, they tried to look into it. And then in 1 Samuel 6, 20, it said, the people, Beth Shemesh, asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? And the ark was put in the house of Benadab, where it remained for at least 20 years. And David comes to get the ark. So the ark had been set aside in Israel for all this time. And now David says, this is what the priority will be. I'm going to get the ark and we're gonna bring it back to Jerusalem and God will be king while I am king. There was this huge length of time where the ark wasn't, where it was just in the house of Abinadab, where it wasn't the priority. In, in your life, are there areas of your life where you have set aside from allowing God to reign as king? Maybe it's been 20 years. But are there areas in your life where you have not let God in to rule? The Holy One is the one who should reign supreme in every area of your heart, in every area of your life. Moving on, 2 Samuel 6, verse 3 through 11. They set the ark of God on a new cart, brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Nahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. Ahil was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down. And he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. To this day, this place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obedidim the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidim the Gittite for three months. The Lord blessed him and his entire household. This text, and specifically this portion of the text, could cause us to misunderstand God and draw away from him, or it can develop in us a deeper understanding of the holiness of God that cannot allow us to move towards God, to move nearer to God. And that's the move that I, that I pray we make this morning, that as a result of seeing God's holiness, we would move towards him. 
if you're shocked, concerned, troubled about we, what we just read, you're in good company because David was too. You see David's response? It says David was angry because the Lord did this. David was angry. And I think the question that we feel when we read that is why was it so bad what Uzzah did? Wasn't he well-intentioned? He was just trying to stop the ark from hitting the ground. And when the oxen stumbled, he reached out to cause it to not fall. So we're going to see two things that David and Uzzah failed in. We're going to see that they, they failed to live out the, the law for how the ark was to be carried and that they also failed in honoring the reason for why the rule was given. They, they failed to live out the letter of the law, the specifics of what God had commanded, and the heart of it, the reason why the rule was given. So verse 3 says, They set the ark of God on a new cart, brought it from the house of Abinadab, so they carried the ark of God on a new cart. When were we first introduced to the cart being the mode of transport for the ark? The Philistines. It was when the Philistines brought the ark back to the Israelites. The problem is that that's not how God commanded his people to carry the ark or for how the ark was to be moved. God told them to make the ark with rings so that poles could go through it so that they could bear the ark on their shoulders. The ark was to be carried. The ark was not to be rolled on a cart, even if it was a new cart. Said it was a new cart. But the ark was to be carried, not to be placed on a new cart. In Numbers 4, God gives duties to the Levites to cover the ark very carefully so that no one would see it lest they die. And they were told to, to make it in a certain way so that no one would touch it lest they die. Maybe they were tired from carrying the ark or, you know, it doesn't say, but I kind of think maybe they saw the Philistines rolling the cart in and they thought, oh, that's the way to do it. We get to skip shoulder day if we, uh, if we just roll it on a cart. It's so much easier. It's, but that wasn't the way that God prescribed for his people to move the ark. It's interesting because they were bringing the ark back to Jerusalem to honor God as king, but they weren't submitting to God in the way that God commanded them to move the ark or carry the ark. They were failing to live out the command of God, but they were also failing to live out the reason for why the rule was given. Why was it so bad that Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark they were failing to honor 
the reason for why the rule was given. And it's that God is holy and we are not. When Adam and Eve were sent out of the Garden of Eden, cherubim were placed on the east side of the garden to guard the entrance. And now cherubim are guarding the presence of God, the holiness of God. The rules, the rule that God gave, they were given, not so that the ark wouldn't touch the ground, but so that the ark wouldn't be touched by sinful hands. R.C. Sproul said it like this, Uzzah believed that mud would desecrate the ark, but mud is just dirt and water obeying God. Mud is not evil. God's law was not meant to keep the ark pure from the earth, but from the dirty touch of the human hand. Uzzah presumed that his hands were cleaner than the dirt, and God said no. They thought their sin wasn't a big deal, that it didn't matter. And oftentimes we can do that as well. It's so easy to begin to desensitize ourselves from the weight of our own sin. But our sin is truly seen for what it is when it is contrasted to the holiness of God. The rule given, and the reason the rule was given was for their protection. Moses, when he, was, when he asked to see the face of God, God said, you cannot see my face and live. We are marred by sin. They wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem to honor God as king, but they didn't do it God's way. And the exact thing that God said would happen, happened. Don't see the ark. Cover it. Don't look at it lest you die. Carry it so that you won't touch it lest you die. The thing that God said would happen, happened. That is what it is to face the holiness of God when we're stained by sin. It's been said that God's will done God's way brings God's blessing. God's will not done God's way, as we see here, doesn't account for much. But God's will done God's way also brings joy. Verse 12, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has. So remember, they, David in light of what happened, he said, I don't know that I can take the ark to Jerusalem. I, I, how can I do this? So they put the house, put it in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. It was there for three months and God blessed Obed-Edom. And David then thought, oh, may, maybe I can go. Maybe God isn't someone I should fear in this way or that possessing this isn't what we should do because the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with rejoicing. Verse 13, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull 
fattened calf, wearing a linen pod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts, the sounds of trumpets. Notice the bearing of the ark. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps. They didn't have a cart this time. They bore the ark. They carried the ark. This time they did it right. This time they carried it. This time they followed the rule and the reason for why the rule was given. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. God desires to dwell with sinful humans through sacrifice. In our lives, the more we grow with God, the more we will have an understanding of the holiness of God. When you first come to the Lord and trust in him, you don't have a full understanding of all of who he is. But as you walk with God, there's a greater realization for his holiness. And when you come to God and trust in him, you don't understand all the ways that you're sinful immediately. But as we grow with the Lord, we have a deeper understanding of the depth of our own sin. We realize all the ways that we're selfishly motivated, all the ways that we fail to live out the commands of God. As we grow with God, we realize the depth of our sin more and more. So the longer that you walk with God, the more you walk with God, the greater the gap between your understanding of his holiness and your understanding of your own sin is. But the cross covers the gap. The cross covers the gap between the holiness of God and the depth of your sin. The cross covers the gap. And if you're newer to Christ or, or your understanding of his holiness and your own sin is smaller, the cross covers your gap there. And the more you walk with God, we don't have to fear understanding his holiness or the depth of our sin because the cross always covers the gap between his holiness and our sin. Now we can pretend that we're not as sinful as we really are. Or we can seek to just work harder and just try to earn our way to God. But all we're doing is what Jack Miller said, shrinking the cross. Jack Miller also said, cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you are more loved than you ever dared hope. What is the result of understanding that the cross covers the gap? Joy, celebration. What does Daniel, not Daniel, David, 
What does David do? He dances before the Lord with all his might. Do you dance before the Lord with all your might? It's probably an area we can grow in. In expressing our love for God, will you worship God with all your heart? Will you praise God with all your might? Will you live for God with all that you are? God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. What does Jesus then do for us? He sends us the spirit of God. Spirit of God, the one who is very God of very God, dwells in those who have placed their faith in the gap bridger, Jesus Christ. The one who is holy dwells in you if you have trusted in Christ. And then what does 1 Peter 1.15 say? We've talked about incommunicable traits, those characteristics of God that we don't share, God's omnipresence. We will never share that, but God's holiness, holiness is, is a communicable trait. That we're, God is the perfect version of it, but we're called to live into it more and more. 1 Peter 1.15 says, be holy because I am holy. Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. So what should our response be this week? First, be in awe of God in light of his holiness. So if you like homework, I've attached homework to each of the end of these. Go out in creation this week. Admire the creator. Be in awe of your creator. Or as you're shoveling snow, or if you just want to hang out inside, look out a window. But be in awe of your creator. Be in awe of the Holy One. Second, what should our response be? Praise for God in light of what he's done for our sin. We're called to live into a greater and greater holiness. Our sins been forgiven fully, and yet we're still called to grow in looking more and more holy, looking more and more like God. So here's what I want you to do. Take 15 seconds and think about this question. Where are you most struggling in terms of sin in your life right now? So take a few seconds. Think about where are you most struggling in regards to sin right now? Hopefully something came into your mind. Um, if, if the response kind of came up in, in your mind, I, I'm good, I, I'm not struggling, then, then maybe pride is, is what, we, what you should be looking at. Third thing, strive to live our lives like the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Take a step this week towards holiness in regards to your previous answer. 
whatever came up in your mind for where you're most struggling with sin right now, take a step towards that this week. Who do you need to invite in this week? What do you need to read this week? Each step could look different for each one of you, but what is one step this week that you can take in regards to your previous answer? We have a problem of sin. And the problem is worse than we know. But there is hope. It is a hope greater than we could ever imagine. It is a hope that changes everything. It is a hope nearer to us and deeper than our own sin. It's the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you. Lord, we stand in awe of you and of what you've done for us. Lord, you are the one who is perfectly holy in everything. And Lord, we are the ones who are sinfully, just so much more sinful than we could ever realize. But Lord, you're the one who changed everything. You're the one who bridged the gap. You're the one who didn't leave us in that place. And Lord, we just stand in awe of you. Lord, help us to just more and more fall in love with you. Lord, you're the one who changes everything. May we praise you for who you are and for what you've done. Pray this in your name.